to Matthew chapter 9, because that is where we are. We're going to continue our study uh, through the gospel of Matthew. So we're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 9, uh, verse starting in verse 27. And uh, once you get there, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. This is a little bit unusual. This isn't something that we uh, normally do when we start. But I'm going to ask you just to close your eyes with me for a second. Not to pray, but just to close your eyes. If you could just close your eyes, uh, that would be great. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to imagine with me that you're sleeping might not be hard on a Sunday morning when I'm preaching. Uh, you might sleep every Sunday morning uh, when I'm preaching. We forgive you for that. Uh, but just imagine you're asleep and you wake up. And you wake up and you go to open your eyes. You do open your eyes, but you can't see. It's dark. And this continues for the day. And it doesn't just continue for the day, but but it continues for the week, and it continues for weeks on end, and continues for months and months on end, and years and years on end. You're not able to see your spouse. You're not able to see your children. You're not able to see your friends. You're not able to see your parents. You're not able to see your church family or community group. You're not able to see your neighbors. You can't see the beauty of God's creation. Everything's just dark. And eventually the things that you have done so far in your life that have gotten you to where they've gotten you, you can't do those anymore either. So you lose your job. And because you lose your job, you lose your home. And suddenly life as you know it is completely different. I want you just to sit in this for a second. You to go there emotionally with me for, for just a second. You can open your eyes now. This is the reality of two men that we're going to encounter this morning. And so as we go through this text this morning, a text of Jesus healing the blind, a text that we've heard before, many of us, and heard, or heard, heard texts like it before, it's, it's easy to forget what this may have been like. And so we're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 9, as I said, verse 27. And we are going to uh, encounter two blind men who have an encounter with Jesus. And so verse 27 starts and it says this, as Jesus went from there. Let's just stop for a second and let me set the table for us. So we are in a section of the gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 8 and 9, where Jesus is doing a series of miracles, a series of healings, and, and Matthew is sort of ordering them in such a way as to make a bigger point than, than just the, the reality of the stories that are being told. So if you go back, Matthew chapter uh, 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7, we have what is called the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus goes up on the mountaintop, and he preaches this sermon. And in the Sermon on the Mount, he lays out for us the, what we have been calling the constitution of the kingdom. In other words, what it looks like when Jesus Christ is king, when he's Lord when he's Lord over our hearts, this is the kind of fruit that is produced in us as a result of this. And then in Matthew chapter 8, verse 1, it says that Jesus got down off the mountain, and then he gets down off the mountain, and then we have these subsequent healing stories and these encounters that Jesus is having with a, a number of different people. And what we see in Matthew chapter 8 and chapter 9 is that Jesus is starting to uh, live out the Sermon on the Mount. He's starting to live out what has been preached in uh, Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, 
and chapter 7. And so what's interesting, though, about this particular story being placed where it is uh, particularly placed in the Gospel of Matthew is that this is sort of the high point or the crescendo of Matthew chapter 8 and 9. It's not a coincidence that G, uh, Matthew rather tells this story of Jesus healing two blind men at the end of chapter 9. It's because he wants to make a significant point. So there's a lot of layers that we have to unpack in this text, okay, for us to fully grasp what is going on. So that's the context. So Jesus went from there. He came from the mountaintop. He came from doing all these healings. And then here's what happens. Two blind men followed him, calling out, have mercy on us, son of David. And now we've already talked a little bit about blindness, right, this morning, just with this whole exercise of closing our eyes. So we kind of have an idea in our mind of what this might have looked like. But one of the things we have to understand for, for just a moment is that blindness in the first century was very different than blindness in our context. I mean, physically it was the same, but the, the implications of the blind, blindness were very different. Uh, like they didn't have social services. They didn't have government funding. They didn't have programs and, you know, things that could help somebody who was uh, blind figure out how to do life well. So what you ended up ha having here in this context was two men who lost their sight, who would have lost their livelihoods, who probably would have lost their homes, who probably would have lost their families. And so they were in a very bad place. Functionally, these were these were some blind homeless guys who were sort of the, the lowest, not the lowest, but they were kind of the lower end of the society food chain. And they come to Jesus. Now, again, you have to kind of have this whole picture in your mind. They come to Jesus, and Jesus has a lot of people around him because he's been doing a lot of fantastic things. If you remember from two weeks ago, uh, Matt preached, and he talked about Jesus raising someone from the dead. He raised this uh, the synagogue ruler, leader's daughter from the dead. And so people were, like, super interested in Jesus. There was a huge crowd around him. And, and kind of trying to get their way into the crowd were these two blind guys. They've heard about Jesus. They obviously haven't seen him, but they've heard about Jesus. They heard that he can do some stuff, and they, they, they've heard that, that maybe if they could get to him, that he, he could heal them. And, and notice what they cry out to Jesus. Look at what it says here, Matthew chapter 9, verse 27. Very specific words, a very specific phrase. They cry out, have mercy on us, and then notice this, son of David. What does this mean? This is essentially a term that is applied to Jesus. This is actually interesting, the first time that it's used in Matthew's gospel to refer to Jesus, but it's a term whereby Jesus is being declared King of kings and Lord of lords. If you go back to the Old Testament, Second Samuel chapter 7, we won't turn there this morning for, for the sake of time, but in 2 Samuel chapter 7, we have what is called, theologians call the Davidic covenant. This is when David was king over the nation of Israel, and if you go back in the world, David was the greatest king. He was the king that they look back to with great esteem. It's when na uh, the, the nation of Israel was at their highest place, uh, economically, politically. He was a good king. He, he loved God. He loved the people. It was a prosperous time for, for the nation of Israel. And so when the people look back on David's kingship, they look back on it with great, with great remembrance, great favor. They, they loved it. But it was in 2 Samuel chapter 7 where, where God made a covenant with David. And, and here is what the covenant said, that through your line would come one who is greater. One who would not just be an earthly king, but who would be a heavenly king. One who would not just lead the nation of Israel to a time of uh, worldly prosperity, but spiritual prosperity. I will come and, and you will, you will, this king will rule forever. He will rule the nations forever. He will save my people. He will rescue my people. And so Jesus, if you go back and trace the lineage of Jesus, Jesus actually comes through the line of David. He was the father of, jo or the son of Joseph, yes. He was from the, the line of Mary, and Mary comes from the line of 
David. And so what we have here is this Jesus coming from the lineage of David. He is the fulfillment of this covenant that was made in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And here's what's interesting is you have these two blind guys coming. Have mercy on us, son of David. So so there's a couple of things that that just we have to understand here. The, The first one is this. These guys get it. They get who Jesus is. They understand him. But don't miss what's happening here. Don't miss the irony of what Matthew is trying to show us. There's two guys who can't see. They're blind and they get Jesus. They understand him. They're the first ones to declare him the Messiah. They're the first ones to declare him the son of David. We get this beautiful picture here, don't we? Of the humility of God. I mean, if you were going to come on the scene and let's just pretend you were important, well, we'll forget it, let's pretend. We all think we're important, right? So, so what do we do? How do we promote ourselves? Humbly? No, no. I mean, I mean just, just scroll, scroll your, your social media feeds, right? Everything's awesome all the time, right? We've got filters, we've got hashtags to make our subpar lives look amazing, we, we never post the selfie, you know, first thing in the morning, right? We got the dragon breath and the crazy hair. Well, I don't have crazy hair. My hair looks great all the time. No, no, it's always, everything's Instagram awesome all the time. And Jesus comes on the scene and, and he has two blind guys declaring him to be the Messiah. So I don't know if Jesus needs a new PR guy or someone else needs to manage his social media feed or, or what's going on here. But there's something about this that just doesn't make a lot of sense and doesn't resonate with us. But here's what Matthew wants you to see. Like, this isn't an accident, right? This, this is on purpose. This is revealing something to us about the nature and character of what God is like. If you go back to Matthew chapter 8, verse 1, it says that, that Jesus came down off of the mountain. As we've been saying, he entered into the brokenness. He entered into the fray. He entered into the mess. He got down on the level of where the people were at. He could have stayed up on the mountain, right? He could have stayed up on the mountain and said, I'm Jesus I'm Instagram awesome. Y'all need to climb your way up here to find out where I am. But he doesn't. He comes down to where the people are. He humbles himself and enters in. And he doesn't just humble himself and enter into where the people are. If you go back over Matthew chapter 8 and 9, this is Matthew's point. Like he's just kind of hammering these things over and over and over again. It's always the blind guys. It's the tax collectors and sinners. It's the lepers. It's the outcasts. It's the dregs of society. It's the people whose lives aren't Instagram awesome. That Jesus comes in and he meets and he connects with and his heart is for and he loves. Because that's the heart of God. God's heart for you, for me, for us, isn't that we have our lives all figured out, isn't that we have it all together and that, that everything is looking great and, 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 and we're living this great life and we're living this morally pure life and we're living this religious life and we have everything all together and it, it's just great. And then once we do that, then God will say, okay, now I will accept you and I will love you. No, in fact, if you go back, just think back over your life most of the time where we have the deepest connection with God, it's when we are in our most broken place. When we have nowhere else to go, nowhere else to turn, no one else to cry out to, and we cry out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. 
so Matthew wants us to see that if, if you're this person who is broken, if you're this person who feels like you're outside, if you're this person who feels like you're far away from God, you're actually probably right in the place that you need to be. And so we see a picture of the heart of God in this reality of these two blind men declaring Jesus to be the son of David. And then the, Matthew goes on in verse 28 and he says this, when he, being Jesus, had gone indoors, the blind men came to him. And Jesus asked them, do you believe that I am able to do this? Do what? It's interesting, just a side note here. They haven't actually asked Jesus to do anything, but he, he kind of he knows what they want him to do because he's Jesus. Do you believe that I'm able to do this? And, and they replied, yes, Lord. Verse 29, then he touched their eyes and said, according to, according to your faith, let it be done to you. Verse 30, and then their sight was restored. And Jesus warned them sternly, see that no one knows about this, but they went out and spread the news about him all over the region. This is amazing. I want you to imagine what this would have been like for these guys, right? They can't see. They're blind. They've never been able to see. As far as we know, for most of their life, they've never been able to see. And then Jesus touches them. And Matthew says their sight was restored. Now just think about this with me for a second, church. They open their eyes, and what's the first thing that they see? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. They open their eyes, and the first thing they see is Jesus. Listen here, this is a beautiful picture. One day our eyes are going to be closed. We're going to move from this life into the next. Our eyes will be closed. As we take our last breath, we're going to open our eyes. And if your faith is in Christ, when your eyes are open, do you know what you're going to see? I see Jesus. It's amazing. What a picture. And so these guys open their eyes. Their sight is restored. They can finally see. They've been blind their whole lives. And what do they see? They see the face of Jesus, the one who healed them. Now, don't miss what Jesus says here, okay? This is big. We've got to unpack this verse 28, the second half of verse 28. This is what Jesus said. According to your faith, let it be done to you. So Jesus healed them, he touched them, but he said there's something that that has occurred here in this exchange that we're having that has allowed this healing to take place. Look at what he says, according to your faith, let it be done to you. Now we've got to do a little bit of work here to help us understand exactly what is going on. Again, this is where I'm saying there's lots of layers to this text. So, So is Jesus saying here, because you have great faith, I am going to heal you. Because You know, the force is strong with this one. Because the faith is strong with this one, I am going to heal you. Is that what Jesus is saying? No. So so what Jesus isn't saying is that my healing is predicated on the amount of faith that you have. Because, listen, and here's why this is important. Okay, this is really, really important for us to get. Because if that's what Jesus was saying then the onus for the healing of these two blind guys wouldn't have actually been on Jesus, it would have been on them. That would have been Jesus at the top of the mountain saying, hey guys, try really, really, really hard to have enough faith. And if you can muster up the faith, if you can muster up the faith, enough faith to believe, then I'll heal you. If you can go to church enough, if you can help old ladies cross the street, if you can do enough good stuff, then you can get to the top of the mountain. That's not what Jesus is saying. The beautiful reality of the gospel is this, is that our salvation is not predicated 
on our effort, our work, or our faith. But check this out. This is what Jesus is saying. It's not the amount of faith they have, but it's the object that they place their faith in that is significant. I mean, just imagine these guys for a second, right? This is probably not the first time they've been down this road. This is probably not the first time they've tried something to, to be able to see. They've probably tried all kinds of things. They've probably cried out to God. They've probably prayed. They've probably, they've probably done everything. So their faith was probably pretty weak. They were probably unsure that this was going to work, but they're like, hey, what the heck? We've got nothing else to lose. Let's give it a try. And so Jesus says, according to where you've placed your faith, you will be healed. Now, now notice this, right? Where don't they place their faith? They don't place their faith in a higher power. They don't place their faith in in the universe, right? They don't place their faith in some religious leader, some spiritual guru, some off in the distant uh, deity. It's very specific. Their faith is placed in Jesus. It might not have been a strong faith, but it was a faith that was placed in the right thing. It was a faith that was placed in something that was strong enough to sustain their weak faith. Son of David, have mercy on us. Son of David, we don't know what else to do. Son of David, we don't know where else to go. Son of David, we've tried everything. We've tried everything. Have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. It was... Their faith placed in Jesus, not the amount of faith that they had that caused them to be healed. Now, there's a whole bunch of things, as I've already said, going on here. On on one hand, we have this this physical reality of these men being healed. There's this physical blindness that is taken care of. But when we start to talk about blindness in the Bible, it's actually a a very massive theme that comes up time and time again. And so so what Matthew's trying to do here is show us a a whole bunch of different things. So there's this reality that Jesus, yes, heals blind people, but there's this other reality here. Jesus uses this term, or Matthew rather, uses this term, son of David, to refer to Jesus. He leaves this story at the very end of this section because what he wants us to see is something else. So if you have your Bibles, keep your finger here in Matthew 9 and and flip over to Isaiah chapter 35. The book of Isaiah is often referred to as the, uh, the fifth gospel. And the reason for it is because when we go back to the book of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah is like foreshadowing of this Messiah who is going to come. And so there's a number of chapters in there that when you read them, you kind of get this picture that looks a lot like Jesus because Isaiah is often telling us about Jesus who will come. And so Isaiah 35 is telling us, uh, is giving us a picture rather of what it's going to look like when the Messiah comes. And so Isaiah 35, we'll just read a couple of verses, verses five and six say this. And again, this is setting the scene for what it's going to look like when the Messiah comes. Verse five says this, then the eyes of the blind will be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Verse six, then the lame will leap like deer and the mute tongue will shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. What is Matthew doing here by placing this story at the end of this set of healing narratives in Matthew chapter eight and nine? He's trying to show us that Jesus is the one who saves. He's trying to show the people, the people who would have been reading this, but he's also trying to show us that Jesus is the one who saves us. See, what's interesting about Jesus' ministry 
is the number one miracle that he performed was healing the blind more than anything else. And in fact, if you go through the whole, thumb your finger through the whole pages of the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, there isn't one other incident of one other person healing blindness. It's just Jesus. It's just Jesus. So what is, what is Matthew trying to say to us? What is he trying to say to you? He's trying to say that Jesus is one who you can put your faith in. Jesus is one who can save you. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the one who, if you place your faith in him, no matter how small, insignificant your faith feels like it is, he is the one who can save. But there's something else going on here. When we start to talk about blindness, again, it's this massive theme through the Bible. There's kind of this even deeper layer, this other thing that Matthew's going after, because blindness, when it's talked about in the Bible, is often used as an analogy, not, not just to talk about physical blindness, but to talk about the condition of the heart. Like if you go to Revelation chapter three, you have this letter that Jesus himself wrote to this church, uh, the church of Laodicea. And Jesus refers to this church, we quote this verse all the time, or this is kind of like our mission statement, it's to tell people that they're blind, naked, uh, pitiful, and wretched, I believe is the words that Jesus uses. Happy Mother's Day, by the way. Now, now Jesus wasn't talking about a physical blindness. They, they could see, as far as we know. He's talking about the condition of the heart. He's talking about this, this reality in the human heart that it's blind, it's dark. Uh, Peter, Paul, John, they do the same thing when they're talking about this, this reality inside Christian and non-Christian, when there's like spiritual darkness, where there's a lack of obedience, where there's an inability to put your faith and trust in Jesus, whether it's for, a, for, 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 for salvation or whether it's just for obedience in the Christian life, that really what's happening is blindness. It's like you can't see. You can't see Jesus. There's something happening in your heart that's not allowing you to see Jesus as he really is. And the result of this, or the condition rather, that the name that this is given is blindness. And if your eyes could be open, if these spiritual eyes, the eyes of your heart could be open, you would actually be able to see Jesus. So, so here's, the, here's the reality. If you're here this morning, you're not a follower of Jesus, or you know people who are, are not followers of Jesus, the issue isn't that they don't know enough. It's not intellectual. It's not philosophical. It's not, uh, it, it, it's not like a relational thing where, where they've had bad experiences with the church or anything like that. I mean, those are real issues and questions that need to be talked about, wrestled with, and addressed. But ultimately, here's what Matthew's saying. It's actually a blindness issue. There's a darkness that has come over the heart that has Enable or inhibited rather them to be able to see Jesus as he truly is. But check this out. If you're here and you're like, yep, been there, done that. I have seen the light, right? I've, I've had this kind of spiritual awakening and I've come to Christ. But there's an area of your life where there's disobedience, rebellion. Those are mean words to use, but that are just incongruent with the kingdom of God, right? You don't, you don't open your home. You don't share the gospel, you have a hard time, uh, and I'm not trying to, sounds really bad, like I'm giving you this list of things that you're supposed to do. I'm just saying, like, there's, there's areas in your life where you know you're not walking in step with the Spirit of God. The fruit of the Spirit is not evident in your life. You don't love your enemies. All, all, there's a long list, and we've all got a bunch of stuff on that list. It's a blindness issue. 
Like Ken and Shannon were up here and they were talking about this journey that they have been on. And I don't know if you caught the kind of undercurrent of the narrative, but it wasn't like, well, we just tried really, really hard to overcome our struggles. It was, no, actually, we saw Jesus. We saw how good he is. We saw that he's a heavenly father who, in his home, has many rooms for his children. And we want to add another room to our house because we've seen. We've seen. Before we were blind, but now we've seen. You see, we do all kinds of things to deceive ourselves. We we tell ourselves things like, well, I'm just, you know, I'm a good person. That's blindness. You're not a good person. Just ask the person you came with. They'll tell you the truth. But it's blindness. We, We recognize our brokenness, and so we do things like we try and act really religious, right? And for some of us, that works itself out in, like, church stuff. And we try and cover up our brokenness with, with religious obedience and, and outward performance. Or maybe we go to like the life coachy route, right? We just want to make our lives better. So we, you know, we, we watch Oprah or we listen to the Joe Rogan podcast or Jordan Peterson, which is basically Oprah for dudes. And, and, and we just try and like pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, right? Make your bed, then you can change the world. Like it just, we try and follow all these ways of the world, and that somehow that's going to fix us and save us. But here's the problem, right? You got to see this. That assumes that the problem is out there. That assumes that the problem is on the outside. But according to Matthew, according to Jesus, it's a blindness issue. It's, it's a heart issue. It's a I can't see issue. And so here's hard news, but it's actually good news. You can't earn your way out of blindness. You can't work your way out of blindness. You can't religious your way out of blindness. You can't good deeds your way out of blindness. The only way to get yourself out of blindness is to come to Jesus for healing. It's like these guys throw themselves at his feet and say, son of David, have mercy on us. Show me who you really are. I don't have enough faith. I can't see. Will you show me who you really are? It's the only way to be healed. And so, so the question for us is, is, where is their blindness? The question we have to wrestle with is, where, where are we not believing? Where are we not seeing? And then the remedy isn't try hard, have more faith, go to church more, pray more, read your Bible. Those are all great things that you should probably do. But in and of themselves, they are not going to save you. It's only when you throw your feet yourself at the feet of Jesus. Recognize that he is the son of David. He is the one who heals blindness that you you will be able to see. So Matthew goes on. He says this. In verse 32, while they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk, was brought to Jesus. Verse 33, and when the demon was driven out, the man had been, uh, who had been mute uh, began, to spoke, began to speak. We have here is another Isaiah 35, right, where, where Jesus is healing 
Uh, he's making the, the mute be able to speak. And this is another picture of Matthew going like, hey, this is a big deal. Jesus is a big deal. Pay attention to Jesus. But here's what I want to draw our attention to here. Look at what he says next in the second half of verse 33. It says that the crowd was amazed and said, nothing like this has ever been seen in all of Israel. And then look at verse 34. But the Pharisees said, it is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. And so we get these two competing responses, really three responses. There was the response of the blind guys, there's the response of the crowd, and there's the response of the, of, uh, of the Pharisees. But I want you to see, I mean, verse 33, the crowd, nothing like this has ever been seen in all of Israel. This is a bit of a shot that Matthew's taking. He's been taking shot at religion the whole way through his gospel so far. He's going to continue to do that, by the way. And here he does it again. In other words, the Pharisees teach, the scribes teach. They've been leading us for a long time. You ain't never seen nothing like this. Those guys don't have what this Jesus guy has. And then look at what the Pharisees say. It is by the prince of demons that he, Jesus, drives out demons. Like, don't, don't miss the ironic thing here that Matthew's trying to show us. The blind guys, they can see Jesus. But the religious guys, they can't see him. The blind guys can see Jesus. But the religious guys, they think he's demonic. What's Matthew trying to show us? That religion is really just the blind leading the blind. Right? Religion is like a whole bunch of people standing in a line. One blind guy standing in a line with his hand on the shoulder of another guy who's blind, another guy who's blind, another guy, and all these blind people standing in a line. You get to the front of the line, you kind of hope the guy at the front of the line can see. You get up there, it's somebody who looks very religious, right? Probably a big hat, maybe a Roby dress thing, suit done up, looking nice, smiling, pearly white teeth, great family, shirts tucked in, Bibles with zippers, fish on their car. And you're like, that guy's blind. Shoot, I'm in the wrong line. What Matthew wants us to see is this, is religion is really just a way of us trying to control our own lives. You don't have to go to church to be religious. Religion is just our way of not having to admit that the only hope we have is to admit that we have no hope but Jesus. And so we make stuff up. That's what West Coast New Age spirituality is. It's just an attempt at religion. That's what good behaviorism is. That's what life coachism is. It's just our attempt to try and fix our brokenness without getting to the source, which is us, and recognizing that we can't do it on our own, and only Jesus can save us. And Matthew's invitation is this it's not to put your hand on my shoulder. It's not to put your hand on anyone else's shoulder. It's to put your hand on the shoulder of Jesus and follow him. 
He's the only one who can save. To put your hand on his shoulder and say, Son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And this is what we must all do. We must all come to Jesus and recognize that it is him and him alone who can save us. We have to become like the blind guys who recognize their blindness, recognize their hopelessness, and recognize that it is Christ and Christ alone who can save us. Amen? So here's the invitation. Here's the call of Jesus. It's to humble ourselves down at his feet and cry out to him, Son of David, have mercy on us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are so good to us. You are so good because we, just like the Pharisees, have in so many ways tried to cast you aside by trying to figure out our own way in our own lives. And yet despite our rebellion, you pursue. Despite our brokenness, you come after. Despite our unwillingness to relent, you continue to love. It's this ferocious love. We thank you. Your only prerequisite is that we stop running. So Lord, I pray for us that in this moment, no matter where we're at, whether this is our first time ever here and hearing this or whether we've been here for a long time and we have just stopped coming to your feet, that we would stop running. We would sit at your feet and we would cry out, Son of David, have mercy on us. That just like these blind guys, they didn't see you. They didn't, they didn't see you with their own eyes. They just knew there was nowhere else they could go. Lord, would you put us in this place where we would just come before you, recognizing that we have nowhere else to go. Would you give us the faith to just humble ourselves, and sit at your feet. That our eyes would be open and that we might be able to see. We need you to heal us, Lord. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.